Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to Making Data Simple. This is where we try to make data simple. We chat about everything from tech, leadership, coaching, current events. It doesn't matter. We chat about everything. The thought for the day is we are data rich and information poor. There you go. There's your data snippet for today. Speaking of data, the other day, and it said over 70% of all data is unused. So we're still in the same boat. We were like two, three years ago. Not much of change. I am on a CEO kick. We're talking to a ton of CEOs, mostly startups, which makes me think I am not a CEO and maybe I'm a little jealous there. Then again, maybe misery loves company. I'll figure that out as part of our conversation here. Today, I have a special guest, Davr Bonazzi, CEO of Cascada. Let me talk a little bit about Davr. He's a co-founder and CEO of Seattle-based startup, Cascada, and uh, he must like Starbucks. Maybe not. I made that up. Uh, he, but it's an end-to-end platform, a feature engineering and feature serving, if you will. I need to get more information on it, just like everybody else here. But I know they visualize event-based data, collaborate, productionize, work. We'll get the real definition from my good friend here. I know that he's also been the chair of Apache Beam, BMC, a software engineer at Google Cloud, that was since the inception of cloud data flow. Davar, I greatly appreciate you being here. Thank you, welcome. Hi Al, great to be guest here. I've been listening to this podcast for a while and so great to be on the other side of, of the <laughs> recording. Your introduction was very good. I am a CEO of Cascada, an early stage company based in Seattle. Kind of two rounds of funding, but still relatively early stage, kind of growing and kind of making an impact in the market. Before starting the company, I was an engineer at Google, building similar systems inside Google Cloud since the early days of Google Cloud and kind of the beginnings of the data processing inside Google Cloud. At Cascada, we focus on machine learning, we focus on feature engineering, we focus on event-based data, and helping data scientists build truly good models that will work in production. We focus on really feature engineering with event-based data for data scientists, getting really good models built. Cascada, you focused on the platform or really the models around event-based data? We focus on the data itself, right? So kind of when we think of you of the world, there is data and then there is models. Model training is its own thing and we do not touch the model training or operating the model itself. We focus on everything around the model, data processing, feature engineering, things that you have to do with the data to be able to generate training data sets, to be able to serve live feature vectors in production. That is what we focus on. It almost sounds like you're in the business of keeping the models in production and staying in production, providing client value. Yeah, is that, that is, is that an accurate statement? That is an accurate statement towards the end of the process, right? So we help you build models, but like the data processing needed for training models. And then what you said is that second part of the equation. Models make impact once they run in production, once they serve predictions all the time. And so we help with that serving part as well. 
So would a client come to you then with models already in existence and then they're saying, look, help us make this real, help us make the model you know, stick uh, based on a trusted uh, corpus of data? Is that when you come in? How, how does the engagement start? Obviously, there are kind of uh, customers in different stages of adoption, but most common case is that we start with the data scientists and they often have frustrations. They have frustrations that they can't do their job really, really well because lots of things that are not related to the data science itself. Sometimes they are struggling to getting data. Sometimes they build models, but those features that they used to build can't be built in production systems. There are many kind of things that happen as a consequence of a friction between data science and data engineering, where data scientists may you know, build something that works great in the lab, in a notebook, but does not work great when productionized, or there is a really long path to productionizing it, right? When that process takes months upon months to do and results in the lab don't match production in the future, these are the types of users that have faced the problem. These are the types of people that we can truly and really help. I like to repeat things to make sure I fully understand it. And, and, Absolutely. And everyone that I've had on the podcast to date is really, this is interesting because they're developing models. Mm-hmm. What I hear you saying is, I presume you probably could build models if you chose to, and you're, you're certainly doing feature engineering, but it's really about the ecosystem, if, if that's the right word. It's around both productionizing and then keeping those models in production, everything that a data scientist needs, but often struggles with as they're focused on the model creation themselves. Does that make sense? It does. Kind of from my side, it absolutely does make sense. But really, I would like to focus maybe the first part of the, our conversation, maybe we go deeper in this process of creating models. We don't train models ourselves. We enable many libraries that exist today uh, to train models, but we really help users that start with event-based data. This is kind of time series data. So data that has a timestamp and a description of what happened at at that timestamp and really be able to generate a training data set for machine learning, right? That the feature engineering process, defining, extracting, defining features and building a training data set that models can be trained on and then building that as a second step and bridging that. Is most of what your company provides, is it know-how or do you also like know-how in the feature engineering like we talked about, or is it uh, tooling? I mean, like uh, proprietary tools that you have that make this easier or is it both? More software than anything else. We are a product that helps users do it, right? We don't do it for them. We are not a consultancy. We don't sell time, right? We have software that is really, really cool, a data processing system that enables data scientists to define features, to explore data, to build things that are not necessarily easy and in some cases possible today. And so let's start with an example. Let's make this really, really concrete. Many listeners may kind of empathize with building a churn prediction model. Right? So many businesses want to build a churn prediction. Every business has customers. Every business is probably interested in which customers are likely to churn, you know, cancel subscription or something. Right? That's a really common problem across 
many industries. So really, in this case, you want to predict, you know, which users will churn 30 days from now. And what you typically start with is, you know, some kind of event-based data, activity stream, click stream, right? So you have kind of activity of a user, and based on kind of changes in activity, you want to figure out who might churn in the next 30 days. I think many people want to build models like this. So really, in this case, what you have is the input is event-based data, and the output is prediction or likelihood for each user, the probability of them churning up. And so in this process, to build such a model, you start with this event-based data, but you have to generate a training data set for the model. Typically, you need to generate a positive examples of churn and the negative examples of churn so that the model can actually work. And so that process requires a capability that the industry typically calls time travel. You have to be able to do data processing and generation of examples at the points in time. You have to be able to, in this event-based data, to do analytics at different points in time. And our software, our product helps with that. Our product solves fundamentally one really, really significant pain point. And that is computing feature values at arbitrary data-dependent points in time we can help people kind of think about this activity stream, this event stream, this event-based data, and answer the question, feature values at different data dependence points in time. And with that functionality, you can build, you can actually build quality churn prediction, for example, in many other cases. That was very helpful. Let me ask you, let's take it one step further, though. Uh, you were kind of going into this in terms of the time travel in the product that you have in the value that it brings. But to take that one step further, what makes you unique? What's your secret sauce? Yeah. What do you do that nobody else can do? Uh, we think of ourselves as being the best in the world in time travel, in being able to compute feature values at different arbitrary data dependent points in the past. That is the secret sauce. It's a data processing system that you can ask a question, what were the feature values 30 days before somebody quit or before somebody canceled the subscription? That ability to ask questions of my data set, right? Tell me the feature values at different data dependent points in time is the secret source that helps people generate training data sets and then kind of helps them do things in production. Getting to production is just asking the same question give me the feature values at the time of now. This is fascinating, man. I got it. So basically, the event-based data combined with time travel and your ability to time travel uh, with your tooling is, that is the secret sauce. That's where you add the value. So I can ask a question, hey, what happened before that individual left the organization? You can tell me what was going on. Absolutely. Uh, from that soon. That's interesting. Tell me, how did you end up here? You must have found a gap in the industry that wasn't being filled. And, you know, so you, you start up a company, you got two rounds of funding. How'd you end up here? There is a, a personal story and there is a product story that's, they are related, but some are different. I like both. <laughs> Go ahead. We're all, we're all ears. A personal story probably is that kind of, I was at Google building open source projects with companies around the world. The project was growing, and I guess it's not that surprising that after 
you know, building open source projects and building a community that is pretty large, that uh, entrepreneurship may be the logical next step. I would not be the first one who has done that in our industry. What probably is unique and somewhat surprising is that the company is not monetizing the open source project or is being related to the open source project that I worked previously in any way, shape or form. And so kind of since the first, you know, starting of the company, the company was really focused about solving user problems and the things that we have seen through our experience, but not really kind of taking something that was built before and trying to monetize. We really wanted to focus on user pain points and user problems that they had with the batch and streaming processing systems that we were doing in the past. Through the open source experience and a door was kind of slightly opened and that's not that surprising. And all I had was the courage to, I guess, to walk through them. And then the one thing led to another. We started looking kind of at data processing systems. And obviously these days, you know, machine learning, feature engineering and, and things like that were becoming hot and hot as you we were starting. And then we decided relatively early on to focus the company on that specific use case of data processing. And then the rest is history. So as we kind of work with customers, when we talk with data scientists, then kind of there is more kind of refinement, more and more of the story of the problem of the solution that enabled us. Nice. We'll get back to the tech in just a minute. Cascada, question. Your co-founder, Steve Jobs has Steve Wozniak. Gates has Paul Allen. I got to believe you have somebody that, you know, you're working with directly as well. Absolutely. Company is not one person. The company is not me. If the company were just me, we would not get far. My co-founder, Ben Chambers, is obviously uh, very, very uh, important and uh, a part of this story from the day one. But also kind of the entire leadership team, the entire company, at the end of the day, are investors, uh, the help that they provided in addition to funding has been really material of, of getting us here. So we are here because of many people that helped in various ways. Are you the technical side or are you the business side? It's a really hard question. Well, that's why I asked it. I'm not going to give you an easy question. Why would I do that? I am an engineer. I've been an engineer for a really long time. I have done a lot in terms of product part of the story. And that being said, I have stopped coding many, many years ago. I am not uh, doing any work like that. I am really building the company, building the team and building the business. Though my background is engineering background. Uh, it is not a business background. And so kind of I'm a CEO that is not <laughs> a, a, somebody from a business perspective or a CEO that is pretending to code or anything like that. I am somebody who kind of walks the path of like some kind of middle path where I am a deeply technical CEO who is doing business development, uh, hiring, uh, building of the team and scaling of the organization on a day-to-day -day basis. Only you could say, but it sounds like you're like many of us. You're on the business side, but you respect the tech. Yeah. Like most of us. I mean, we hate getting away from it, but you got to do some business stuff as well. Hey, I got it. Back to the tech. Who's your biggest competitor right now? Who, who else does this? So there are many people that do things in feature engineering space, in machine learning space, 
that like obviously the space is really hot and really well funded by so many companies. Kind of when we talk about competitors, obviously, you know, the first company that is, I think, focusing really on on data science and can do many interesting things in data science is obviously Databricks, right? We obviously respect Databricks. They started and built Spark and many and lots of things around Spark. That's something that is always something that is really material. And then there is this uh, space of feature stores that has been kind of developing over the last year or two, where we have kind of quite a few newer startups that are building feature stores. And they are kind of storing feature values at different points in time, which can provide some form of time travel. If I have a feature values of today and yesterday and day before, obviously I can give you some answer about uh, feature values at different points in time. We don't consider ourselves a feature store per se, but I would say that all feature stores are uh, closely related to, to what we do. And so all feature store companies would be kind of a category of competitors. Got it. How about, well, you talked about some of this, but I want to, again, dive down a little deeper, and that is the user pain points and the common use cases that you have. Can mm-hmm. you talk to some of the common use cases that kind of put this all together in terms of what you offer and, and what you can do under time frame? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about use cases, really, you know, here we have kind of models that run on event-based data. Typically, that is churn prediction. Oftentimes, that's recommendation engines. Next really common use case is fraud detection. And then finally, I think, you know, a really strong one is personalization. When you have, like, for example, in gaming, a personalization uh, of things in the game in various ways. So these are kind of the typical, typical use cases that we can really shine on. Let me ask you this, though. If you've went back for funding twice, obviously the the investor community has a great interest in in what you guys are doing at, at Cascada. If I was an investor, how would you sell me on investing into your company? Here, what's really going on is that a really large number of data science jobs will be created in the coming years and decades. Really, data science is at the core uh, of modern business and really we have here competition in the market to enable data science to be done well in a repeated way in an efficient way that will actually deliver results success depends on being able to harness data the way big tech is winning in different ways is because of their data and their ability to win with data Right? I don't think I need to tell anybody how important data is and data science is. However, the, the results from data science today in the market are primarily harnessed by big companies, by big tech, because they have software that enables their data teams, their data science teams, their data engineering teams to succeed and make systems work in production. We can solve this problem. We can enable significant portion of the market to find that level of success that big tech has when it comes to machine learning, feature engineering, and data science in general. That is what we can make an impact with, right? And I truly mean it, right? Like building models that actually work, that they're actually ready to, you know, or data processing 
things around the models that can be put in production and that they will actually work, right? So our success is really the impact on the bottom line of the business. Our customers, right? Like for years, I, I probably, you have had many people tell this story, but how many times in the last decade people have invested in data? 85% of those projects have failed according to various kind of surveys. We have the software that helps data scientists be successful, uh, operate models in production, bridge that gap that can actually be visible on the company's bottom line. That's the impact that we can make in Cascada. Are you an IDE then? Is it more of like a development environment or is it just, does it somehow plug into like Juniper Notebooks? I mean, how, how does it work? We are not an IDE. We integrate really, really well with the existing data science tools. And so you use us in a Jupyter Notebook together with a bunch of other data science libraries and tools that the data scientists are accustomed to. Just like you can use TensorFlow or, or any other library, you use Cascada in a, in a very similar way. You open your notebook, you load your data into pandas, uh, you can use Cascada to do queries on your data and define features. And then after that, you can go to a training library and build models. So it's kind of really, really well integrated into a data science workflow uh, as it exists today and plays nicely by using kind of common formats, pandas, data frames, different things that, that, that makes life easy. Are you a subscription service or is it we buy the software and I, I own the software? How does that work? So we are kind of a service. So we have, you know, obviously various uh, distribution schemes, but most common, we are a service and we process data uh, for you that you can, you know, typically as a data scientist access from a Jupyter Notebook. However, that processing can be inside kind of our service or it can be deployed within your company. And then you, are told, you know, the data does not leave your uh, kind of VPC uh, your cloud project, things like that. So we can kind of deploy it to your environment or we can operate it for you. Normally, you just kind of call a service to process data wherever it is kind of posted. So in essence, it's like a SaaS service. I mean, I'd pay monthly or something. Correct. Makes sense. Does Cascada have a an exit plan that you can talk to? I mean, what is your thought? Where I mean, what's your five-year plan? I like to say that... I don't like to have a plan. I feel like if we are too much committed to a plan, then ego is part of the decision. And we are not looking at, at opportunities as they come along. And so our, our plan is obviously to grow the company. We really care about our customers and we want to do the right for them. That's what we focus on. We are not focused on acquisitions or IPOs or, or, or things like that. Our real focus is on customers and do right for them and by them and to show them kind of and lead them to success. I got to ask you this question. You talk about uh, acquisition or otherwise, but uh, I've got several friends, hopefully include you in, in this group at some point that are CEOs of startups. They spend a lot of time raising money. If you're willing to say, how much time do you really spend looking and, and pursuing funding? Well, it depends on the phase of the company. You know, when I started, I spent most of my time fundraising. And then, you know, the moment you uh, fundraise around, you know, I didn't start fundraising the second round the next day. 
right? But like, so I had a, a little bit of window upon which I had a little bit of kind of quiet time where fundraising was not top priority. And then, you know, uh, some amount of time fundraising did become priority again. And then, you know, again, that was then the majority of the time. And then after that, I had again a little bit of quieter time where I was able to hit other parts of the business as well. And so now we are kind of, I guess, again, starting in the phase where fundraising is important. So I'll probably be increasing amount of time in fundraising conversations in the coming months. But aren't you always anxious? I mean, it's like, I understand what you're saying. You get funded. It's a little bit of, of fresh air and you can focus on some of the, the business. Then the then it circles back around. You got to raise another round. But aren't you always kind of anxious in some way? You are always anxious, right? So this is a, <laughs> this is a tough job. You can't run dry at the same time. Or kind of many challenges as a day-to-day running a business, right? Like, you know, you need to get customers. You need to get employees. You need to get funding. And so, you know, there are many, many conversations in a day. And and all of them are needed for success. And so obviously as a CEO, funding is, I guess, my, my, my first priority or kind of something that I cannot ignore. Uh, but at the same time, there are, there are other parts of the business that are equally important to success. You can't do anything without people. So kind of hiring is another thing, especially hiring the leadership team is something that never stops. Uh, and, and investing in your people never stops. And then attending to your customers and helping them, right? That also rarely stops. What is the technology that is at the root of Cascada? I mean, just simply done. I know it's part of it. It could be part of a Juniper ne- notebook, etc. In simple terms, it's a data processing system, right? So think of it as a box that is a data processing system. Events coming in, features coming out, and you control with various kinds of ways It's a box that does arbitrary computation on event-based data that is time aware that you can kind of define, I want this feature at this point in time in various ways, right? And you get those feature values out. That's the gist of it. It's a data processing system. So now kind of peeling one layer, layer lower, what does that mean? It really means kind of, I guess, Park is a data processing system you know, some kind of SQL database has, you know, various ways of parsing a query, planning a query, executing a query in various ways, right? So we are a data processing system just like those. Data comes in, data comes out, and it's an arbitrary computational system. So you control with, with kind of input what is being computed, and we give that power to the data scientist. Makes sense. Our producer was intrigued by a question. When Kate's intrigued with something, I got to ask it. It said, Dever can talk about how feature stores for data scientists save time and money in production systems. Tell me what that means. I think feature stores are becoming a central part of a feature engineering process. Many, many times, uh, companies have hundreds of features and you know, hundreds of variants of features and several models that are running in production. And so Feature Store is a place to organize all of these features, organize definitions of features across different models or across training and production. So really, Feature Stores are important part of, a, I guess, data infrastructure 
because it helps people enable visibility, sharing, and reuse of data, right? And so when you pair Cascada with the feature store, you can share not just data, but also the code that powers the feature store. It's really a place to store and query features, but Cascada plus feature store is sharing computation of those features, not just the values of those features. Makes sense. You answered kind of <laughs> your exit in mind. Uh, let me ask it a different way. Where do you think Cascada will be in five years? In five years, we really want to be a really significant data science company with many, many customers that are happy, healthy, operating uh, models in production and successfully competing in the market. And having all these proof points publicly known, having the mind share, being the leader in this space. That is our five-year goal. Where are you, Series A or Series B? Series A. So Series C A. and A, yep. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I want to ask you a few leadership questions, if I could, before we, we exit. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think I should have? I think we covered things really well, uh, but obviously we can go deeper in various areas. Well, good. That's a great transition then. If we've got the tech, let's talk about the company a bit. I want to talk about the company. I want to talk about your leadership style, what skills you leverage as CEO, but let's start back. In terms of the company, I mean, how would you describe the company in like three bullets? What are your values? What, what do you stand up for? What will you do? What will you not do? I really have a passion for good leadership in terms of like in our industry, in software, I think management is lacking. You know, I have seen many people go through different stages of burnout. Some of my friends in the past lives and then and things like that. And I really care about what is our kind of uh, work culture, how we work, how we do things. It's not only important what we achieve, but also it's very important how we have achieved that. And startups are not that known by having a great work-life balance or, you know, things like that. Like, are, are not the, startups are not the first place uh, to go for that. Given that we have obviously, you know, ambitious business goals, but we really want to focus on how we work as well. And so I think uh, building a culture focuses on hiring the right people with the right values first. The values don't come from me because I said so. The values come from, from the people that you get. Uh, and then kind of that, that you hire and that you grow and that you nurture. To kind of answer, you know, directly, kind of we do have some, you know, uh, values that we have developed over time. You know, they are kind of six values that we like to say, you know, the, we start with number one, our people first, and we help each other when needed. What do you look for? What, what traits do you look for? You're hiring me. What would you look for? I would look for people who put the team first, who help others, who are focused on others, right? Who are genuine, who kind of focus on the users and want to delight users, and who are bold, who are always shipping, asking why not, 
fundamentally focused on us and our joint success as a company. What are the, the top couple of skills that you say, look, this has helped me most? It's the combination of technology, focusing on a really deep technical skill, but also focused on people, empathy, communication, right? So kind of the right balance of that, right? Without that balance, I think it is hard, but kind of in a day-to-day kind of leading the team internally, like it's really about listening to them, enabling a culture where they can say what people think and, and listen to your team is, is something that, that's truly, truly important. As a startup CEO, what management style do you think works best? I mean, are you a pace setter, a democratic management style, a coach? What do you think works best? I like servient leadership as a general leadership style that resonates with me. I think that's who I am. And I internally want to build the team and coach people and see them grow and, and things like that. Saying that without giving some caveats is more like a black and white answer that that's not really true for a startup. And so me as a person, I would like to do that. But the job as a CEO of a startup requires to deliver results to not be that only. And so you can't really do democracy type of thing because you will not make changes quickly enough to succeed. But on the other hand, many, many startup CEOs are kind of look like dictatorship. And I really don't like that. And I think those startups maybe achieve something quickly, but then hit a ceiling also quickly. It's the balance of investing in your team. It is serving your team and supporting them, but at the same time, making tough decisions and pivots when the times are right. And I think we will not be here today without changes. And some of the changes over the, you know, uh, years and months were not easy to do, but they were necessary. And so kind of, you can't lose that objective as a CEO of a startup either. What in data science scares you? The thing that scares me is to be a leader of a data science, data engineering team in, in the industry today, right? Like I think that I saw recently some study that the average tenure of CIO is under 18 months or something. Right. So like, where are you at? You're getting close. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that is the thing that like that kind of scares me the most. Everybody knows that this is important, that, they ha- that their future depends on it. But like it's really hard to find success. And then, you know, you invest and you get that one vendor and you get another vendor and this and that uh, happens. You know, time passes, but the results are still mediocre. Right. Those things that scares me. All right. Who commands your respect? You look and you say, yeah, that person. If you focus on, on big companies, right? So I worked at Microsoft in the, in the you know, era that Microsoft was a little bit declining, right? Yeah. And then, you know, Microsoft got turned around in the last few years. Obviously, that's an example of, of great leadership and ability to turn the company around. Then in the industry we have, in our industry, in the data industry, we have kind of companies that are built and that are kind of doing really well, right? Like there is great leadership 
All right, let's play a quick game before you leave. Would you rather? You got to pick one or the other. You can't stick in the middle. That's just how it works. So, <laughs> human driven car or an AI driven car? Human driven car, 100%. Wow, the data science guy, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> Chooses the human driven car. Low code or no code? Low code. Low code. Why, why not no code, man? No code's better, right? Well, of course, that'd be the AI-driven car. <laughs> I, I think, obviously, it depends on the circumstances and things like that, but software and AI is there to help people and enable people to, to make right decisions better and things like that. And so I always focus on, on that. I would like to have all kinds of AI features in the car, like automatic braking, but I would love to drive my car. Startup or established business? Startup. <laughs> of course. All right. Hey, where can folks reach you? I mean, where's the best place to reach out to you or Cascada? I am not a social media person and I don't necessarily interact with lots on social media, but like, I guess LinkedIn would be the best place to, to reach out. And then on Cascada, there are various ways of chatting with us, signing up, uh, reaching us via email and, and you know, that would be the best way uh, for Cascara. And then for me, LinkedIn, I think, would be, would be best. Fantastic. Thank you for being here today, Dower. Uh, had a good conversation. Learned a lot. I appreciate it, man. No, thank you all. Uh, this was super enjoyable. I laughed more than I expected I will. <laughs> well, good. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think it's good. You got to laugh, right? Absolutely, it's good. Hey, folks, uh, thank you for listening. Thank Dever for being here. I wish all the best at Cascada. As always, please reach out to us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We listen, we bring you on, we'll bring the topic that you're most interested in. So until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.